Welcome to Blue Days, a five-part series retelling the story of Chelsea's famous 1996-97 campaign, 20 years on. The main subject of episode three needs little introduction. This is Zola inside the area, and Zola curls one! Delightful goal from Zola! Now could Zola curl one from here? Oh, yes, he can! Oh, yes, Gianfranco Zola. We had uh, this good opportunity to get Zola. And that was, I think, uh, I said, the ice on the cake. His football seemed natural ability was one of the best I've ever seen. Complete professional, physically, great specimen. First year was uh, something really special. Chelsea's season had got off to a decent start under the management of Rude Hullet. Six wins, four draws and only two defeats suggested the Blues were becoming harder to beat and perhaps even consistent enough to start challenging at the very top of the table. The signs were good and things were about to get even better, as Chelsea's club historian Rick Glanville recalls. The Chelsea of 96-97 had, you had Di Matteo dominating midfield, you had Leboeuf spraying the ball from the back, you had Frode Grodus who'd come in on a free, the Norwegian goalkeeper, who was pretty solid and unspectacular. Uh, you had Mark Hughes, you had Gianluca Vialli up front, so you had a really good spine. Dennis Wise, who I've never seen a player adapt so well over the course of his career to all the different circumstances, and he really was the ringmaster. But what it needed was it needed a maestro, and actually that's what we got. Gianfranco Zola had made his name at Napoli in Serie A, first as Diego Maradona's understudy, and later his successor. It was quite a schooling for Zola. The man many considered to have been the greatest player of all time took the Italian under his wing, helping him make the most of his exceptional skill despite his lack of height, teaching him set-piece techniques and, on one occasion, even letting him start in his beloved number 10 shirt. It was the most beautiful thing I could ever imagine, Zola later said. Zola left for Parma in 93 and helped a star-studded team reach the Cup Winners' Cup final a year later, and then win the UEFA Cup in 95. Gianluca Vialli was on the losing Juventus side. Zola was named in the inaugural European Team of the Year. Though his goal-to-game ratio at Parma was excellent and earned him a place in Italy's Euro 96 team, where he famously had a penalty saved in the final group game against Germany, which stopped the Azzurri advancing to the knockout stage, he wasn't chosen to lead the attack by incoming Parma manager Carlo Ancelotti. The future Chelsea boss preferred a 4-4-2 formation, with new signings Hernan Crespo and Enrico Chiesa up front. Zola was shunted out to the wing. The situation reached a boiling point when Mario Stanic, another future blue then at Club Bruges, was pictured in the stands at a game, expected to sign imminently and take Zola's place in the team. It paved the way for his move to London, and it provided everyone at the club with a much-needed pick-me-up a fortnight or so after Matthew Harding's tragic death. Well, uh, 
what happened to me here it was quite uh, quite you know difficult to imagine it certainly came with a uh, with a lot of uh, uh, willing to do well um, I knew I was going through a difficult moment in, uh, in Parma and I came here with the determination to do to do to do good to prove that uh, the, it was just a bad spell of my career and it was an end it was an ended so I was really lucky to find a fantastic uh, atmosphere at the club. The, 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 my teammates were unbelievable. Plus the crowd, the first day was uh, it was fantastic, really. Uh, it made my my life very easy. So all all uh, what it came on the pitch was all uh, a consequence of what I found outside. I think it was a mistake, Ancelotti later admitted. It was my first experience in Serie A and I was not able to change the system. He would probably not have gone to Chelsea if I had done. Thank goodness Ancelotti didn't. Chelsea had actually declined to sign Zola for £10 million a year earlier. But the Bosman ruling meant his value was depreciating day by day, and so Hullet and the club jumped at the chance to acquire his services for £4.5 million, as managing director Colin Hutchinson recalls. Well, I'd been on his trail for 18 months. Glenn loved him, and I made contact with He didn't have an agent. He was represented by a solicitor, and I built up a good relationship with him. And I got wind from Palmer that he was uh, available, and uh, two agents representing Palmer came to England. Uh, they visited Tottenham. They visited Chelsea. Um, I discussed uh, a deal with them uh, over two days. Um, they couldn't finalise it because it was down to the, uh, the president. I'd made contact by then with the guy who already knew his lawyer. And that night I uh, flew to um, Palmer, um, met the, uh, the president that evening, uh, thrashed out a deal. Uh, the next morning I met Zola and his representative. We had four hours of talks and he was obviously, for the sake of his family, he was a little bit concerned about uh, up in sticks and uh, moving to England. But by late in the afternoon he signed the deal before Tottenham ever got out of the starting blocks. Italian TV were the first to break the news on the Friday afternoon before terms were officially agreed between the clubs. The signing was completed later that day, the night of 8th of November, 1996. He was introduced to the British public on the Monday at a well-attended Stamford Bridge press conference. Zola spoke basic English, but he could explain why he had decided to move to Stamford Bridge. Because Chelsea believes in me, he said. He signed a three-and-a-half-year deal worth a reported £25,000 a week. The impression was good because obviously in, when I came over here uh, there were already Di Matteo and Luca Vialli they, they were already playing for Chelsea so they informed me about the situation they spoke to me very highly about, uh, about the club obviously it was quite different from Italy in those days Italy was, uh, was big, huge about football so there was a little some dif differences but uh, uh, to be honest um, I think in Italy, you know, football was uh, was uh, was huge. Everything was uh, was uh, taken to an extreme, you know. The preparation was uh, to an extreme. All the aspects of the game, they were all very very much looked after. 
in my opinion, too, too, too much. Mm. Um, I believe they was, it was losing the f- fun part of it. In the end of the day, I mean, for, for the footballers, no matter how, how big you are or how much uh, you, you earn, what is important for them is to have fun for what they're doing. And I think, in, in, I mean, at least that was what I was feeling. In that moment in Italy, it was, the game was so, so big, so important, so high level that it was, uh, it was losing something, in my opinion. Zola's arrival prompted some speculation Mark Hughes might leave. With the futures of other attack-minded players, John Spencer, Mark Steen and Gavin Peacock, also thrown into the air. Spencer left for QPR for £2.5 million, ten days after Zola's arrival, with Steen and Peacock soon leaving on loan to Stoke and QPR, respectively. I was tr- just trying to, to look for something that, that would suit my team. And of course, during the season, also we had uh, this good opportunity to get Zola. And that was, I think, uh, I said, the eyes on the cake. I didn't have to think about it. <laughs> when it, this opportunity came, I said immediately, yes, get this man, because I knew how good he was. And so, very quickly, did his new teammates. Zola instantly shone in training, including in a game against the reserves, a couple of days before his Chelsea debut at Blackburn. They were archetypal premiership opposition in those days. <laughs> it, was, it was difficult for me. I was playing in midfield and I couldn't get the ball, actually. <laughs> it was always flying above my head. Um, that was very unusual because uh, the game was uh, very fast, uh, obviously very physical. But uh, what I remember is that uh, I felt good, but I couldn't get the ball enough to, for me in order to make a difference. Uh, and um, so that was my impression. So it, it was still a moment in which I was uh, understanding how the game was, and uh, it was very useful. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember a few times there is a great picture that I can still, uh, I still have in my house. Is that uh, you know it's, it says uh, welcome to the English game, uh, Zola, <laughs> and you can see me upside down. <laughs> you see the. The, the, the feet where my head should be and the, the head where the feet uh, should He got an assist for Gianluca Viali on his home debut against high-flying Newcastle, a one-all draw. And their manager, Kevin Keegan, remarked afterwards that Zola was a bundle of tricks and a tremendous addition to the Premier League. He scored his first goal in his next game at Stamford Bridge. I remember it was uh, it was uh, something that I I practiced a lot the free kicks and uh, and uh, it was a good goal. It was the first of 14 free kicks Zola netted for Chelsea, but it wasn't all rosy. Three draws and two defeats in the five games after Zola's arrival had some questioning the value of his signing. Was the league too quick and physical for him? At just five foot six, would he struggle to impact games? Was he, as some speculated, just another foreign mercenary looking to pick up a final pay packet in the increasingly wealthy Premier League? In ten seconds of football, Zola answered any lingering doubts surrounding his effectiveness. West Ham were the last visitors to Stamford Bridge before Christmas. Here's Zola running free, Dicks across, Zola holding him off. Still Zola! Oh, wonderful! 
Immaculately scored by Gianfranco Zola. It's two after just ten minutes. And Julian Dix won't forget this in a hurry. Actually held off initially by Zola. And then just turned inside and out. And a spectacular finish to match the run. I remember we played very well. Uh, not only the goal, it was a good goal. Um, some good goals from also the other players. Uh, but uh, we played um, a good game and uh, the, the, the partnership was working very well. And from that moment, I believe uh, um, Ruud didn't change anymore. It was good for me as well um, because uh, that game I really played well. I felt like, uh, you know, I, I was able, everything that uh, it came to my mind, I was able to do. And uh, so, therefore, I, I have a very good moment. Although I didn't realize how dangerous it was to do what I did to, to Julian. Everybody loves him. I think he stole their hearts. And uh, I'm very happy for him. And uh, he already played very well in, in a couple of games. But he was frustrated by the fact that we couldn't win. But now he's very happy. And um, I think he is, uh, he's doing well. It's, and it's also a good uh, thing for the Premiership. That day was not only significant for the dazzling solo goal Zola scored. It was also when his partnership with Mark Hughes up front was born. Viali was injured, so Zola moved forward from the position where he began his Chelsea career, in midfield. Yeah, I started like that because uh, Rud said that uh, probably it was the best, uh, the best position for me because he was afraid that uh, playing me at the front, I couldn't get any space, plus I would uh, handle strict uh, and close uh, uh, marking and uh, he said to me probably they will hit you, they will kick you, you know you're not going to find space. So I said I prefer to play you in the field. And then uh, you know Luca got injured, he had to play me in front and uh, you know we found this perfect uh, partnership with, uh, with Mark and uh, so from that moment, uh, plus the team started to get results and uh, with, uh, with consistency, and uh, it didn't change anymore. Di Matteo seeking out Gianfranco Zola. He has Hughes in support, and there's Mark Hughes, and that is 2-0. And that is quite a combination which is developing between Zola and Hughes. Mark was uh, was very really important to me because because uh, it made my 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 game easy. Uh, it was all the time creating space for me and for for the others. You know, when you have somebody like him in front, it becomes easy. It's one of those players that uh, you know they can play in different different generations, and they're gonna be all the time update. Uh, you know, it's uh, just. You know, they are so intelligent, so strong, determined, that uh, they're always, always useful. Partnerships are so underrated in football, and you could immediately see that Mark Hughes thought, my goodness, what have I got next to me now? No, Frank was a joy to play with one. He was, he was one of the special players of that era. Um, it was just, it was a good mix. I was there just to be a little bit of a battering ram, and. I would say with, with smaller statue players, they have to be really exceptional to really make an impact at, at the highest level. And that's, that's why uh, Franco was, was so good, because he was able to affect almost every game he played in and just 
because he was that good. Mm. Um, I played the part, maybe. Bashing holes in the defensive, he used to exploit that, but he's still going to be good enough to recognise situations if they present themselves. So, no, it was, it was easy to play with Franco. He's uh, like Itchy, uh, my, my goalkeeping coach for, for many years. He's not at the moment, but uh, um, he's still his best mate. Still goes playing golf with him. He loves his golf, Franco. So, uh, yeah, but many times in his comedy, he's never changed. Very humble guy, and uh, for his ability and his stature in the game, he's never changed at all. So, yeah, nice guy to be with. He was an easy target for because it was more aggressive in those days. It was refereed in a different way. It was. There's more leniency and good players were. You, you had the the option or the, the opportunity to stop good teams playing by being aggressive. And, mm-hmm. um, that's what teams used to try and do. But um, he was a strong little guy. He was always in the gym and in fairness when he was stripped off, he was like cut and so he'd, he'd worked hard. You could see clearly he'd, he'd been in the gym to try and make himself stronger. So. Um, Good guy, great pro, great player. I had a conflict over who was going to be playing because I had Gianluca there and I had Mark Hughes. He was vital for us. Mm. Yeah, worked straight away. Yeah. I knew exactly that that was the formation because Mark Hughes was the one who was strong, could hold the ball, and, and Zola could play around him. He could do all the things he had me to do. They were great because the, it, it was just the partnership you always look for in a team. One very unselfish player who could block the ball, hold the ball for the rest to become better. Then the other player who has his fantasy and also has his ability to score incredible goals. Zola was soon completely settled, even if there were some things he would never quite get used to. Yeah, it was uh, unusual, you know, to, to spend the Christmas playing football because I normally have a break during that time, but, uh, but I, I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Uh, and uh, well, I didn't enjoy maybe the party when I went to to a disco with my teammates and Grodas nearly killed me because I wasn't drinking uh, a bottle like this of vodka. But uh, but uh, but uh, it was uh, it was really fantastic. First year was uh, something really special. Here I found the the perfect atmosphere to do to play to play well and also to behave well. I like the, the mentality, I like the philosophy of, uh, of the people, of the, the way they, they, you know, they play the game and the way they, they, they support the, the game. And uh, so I was in perfect synchrony with them. I found the perfect environment for me, for my... The way I see football is the same, I think, uh, people uh, live and see football over here. So uh, I, didn't, I didn't have to change at all. I just had to relax and play my best football, as I, as I always, uh, you know, thought it should be. It was not just Zola's extraordinary ability that Blues fans and indeed supporters of other clubs were warming to. His personality was starting to shine through. Martin Tyler remembers his career and what it was like dealing with him from a journalist's perspective. Yeah, well, what a signing! I mean, what. A- what a wonderful guy, as well as, I mean, we didn't know that really at the time, but um, the class on the pitch, the charm off it, you know, and suddenly this was becoming a different, from the media point of view, a different dynamic, really, dealing with players whose English wasn't their first language, who, or could he speak English, you know, and will we get anything, would he do anything, 
He'd come out of Sardinia, where uh, I think he uh, he learnt yeah. to stand his corner, being the um, the uh, the Maradona in the, in the Maradona world as well. So uh, at Napoli, and and therefore we knew about him. And Maradona was tiny as well, so Maradona a bit chunkier than Franco, but but that you you can't play at that level in that kind of environment without having um, some resilience as well as wonderful skill. Now he he was absolutely charming uh, as a, a guy, which I think probably helped. Um, and you know he's so modest about doing the most sublime things on the field and just a joy to be around and. You know, he, he, he would be like a little kid. I mean, I'm six foot three to interview him after the games, you know, <laughs> thinking that this man is exceptional footballer. And it's a wonderful thing about football is that it's probably of all the sports, why it's so worldwide, it's, it does come in all shapes and sizes. Zola's honesty and humility are two of the most fondly recalled characteristics he possessed. His dedication also burns bright in the memories of those who had the good fortune of playing with him or watching him firsthand. A very young John Terry was one such man. I think when it comes to professionalism, it was such a big, a big name in, in kind of world football. And he came in and he really took to the younger players. I was 16 at the time uh, doing my RTS. But he had so much time for everyone around the football club, including the younger players wanting to help us, wanting to always advise us um, and just kind of watching the way he, he prepared for training after training for games. As a kid boy he used to have to be in at half seven, eight o'clock. He'd come in at eight o'clock most mornings doing gym and strength work which was back then kind of unheard of really. So way ahead of his time in, in that way but just kind of picking his brains and kind of him getting to know players and stuff. We would ask questions, you know, well, what are you doing, why are you doing? Um, and it'd end up he formed a, like a little head tennis court in the gym. It was only tiny bit, got the tape out. It was this little ball when he used to practice and he used to beat us all every, every morning. It was nice because, he, as I said, he was such a big star. To see how, how he prepared for training, what he ate, you know, he took care in everything. Didn't accept kind of people not working hard, not trying. Um, and obviously when you've got players like that around as well, it obviously naturally brings the group the group session and the intensity up and the yeah, quality yeah. for sure. So during, during for sure, but even after, you know, we'd grab a bag of balls and he'd do one-on-ones, he'd call you over as a young defender and, you know, run at you and twist and turn and have you entangled. <laughs> it literally would be, but all the learning curve, but he would step in and say, right, you need to position your body this way to make it more difficult for the strike. Uh, when defenders do this against me, just always advising, you know, practicing his free kicks. I mean, over the years, I've seen so many go in the top corner. And as kind of a young player, every time he got a free kick outside the box sitting in the stands, you fancied him to score. <laughs> and it wasn't because, you know, he would randomly get ones, because he worked hard and practiced on it. And and then uh, that was just a great lesson and example for all of us back then also. And nightmare training against him because, listen, he was, he'd done everything. He was, um, he could drop off, he could play behind, play in that little hole, twist and turn. But it also he was quick over five, ten yards. He was probably one of the quickest at the club. He worked on his explosiveness. He could literally do anything. He could jump, win headers, you know, and his football skills, natural ability, was one of the best I've ever seen, actually. But just for a player, he just had everything, you know. And, and as a centre-half back then, it was, you know, do you go too tight? If he did, he would have the quality in the, in the brain to spin and go in behind. Also, he's got the acceleration to, to pull away as well. 
Listen, he, he gave us so many great memories, and just for me, what a real, true legend at the football club. And again, just as young players watching him as well, always had time for the fans after games, and and always stress to us younger players that you know make sure you always give time to the supporters and the fans. Yeah. Have it. There'll be one day when nobody wants your autograph, and you know, it's just little things like that that will stick with me forever. But obviously, it means an awful lot, and everyone at the football club did mean everything to him. Frank St Clair and fitness coach Adi Maffey remember what it was like working with him. He sort of came in and was, you know, hard working. He would always start the training and do his little free kicks. He bought himself uh, one of the first free kick balls I'd ever seen. Um, one of these portable ones and you could put the free ball on a, a little, on a, um, it was portable. So you could take it up, set it up and wheel it to where you wanted to put it. And he would always come out after training and be practicing and be practicing and be practicing. He was very big into um, stretching, yoga. He was very big into strength training. I, I, I mean, even I, I think I'd re I stopped running maybe sort of four or five years before. And we used to, well, he, I, he would always come along right, challenge me for, for 10 metres, and we just had little competitions running for 10 metres from starts and stuff like that. Again, uh, uh, not a bad word to say about him, a complete professional, physically great specimen. His dedication to his training and the dedication to his, his football is the reason why he reaped the rewards of, of actually playing. He improved me. He was one of the first players that I, I saw with my own eyes using an example of staying on the training pitch and working and stuff. And regardless of how good he was, he wanted to improve. And I stayed out a lot with him because we used to, we used to do drills, just me and him individually, where you know, he'd be attacking me, defending, and just have a goalkeeper in there. And he was just trying to get half a yard to get shots off. And he liked doing it with me, obviously, because of my, my physical attributes and my pace and stuff. Wouldn't, would make it difficult for him to, to do that. So we spent many hours on, on, the, on, the training, on the training pitch after sessions had finished, just working on stuff like that through my career, which I believe improved me as an individual player, um, defender as well. That was an opinion Steve Clark, a fellow defender, shared. I think a training was, was, was always difficult because you couldn't kick them because <laughs> you knew you needed them on the Saturday. We certainly... I think, I think it probably made you bit, a better defender because he, he kept you on your toes all the time in training. And his performances when he came to that season were absolutely outstanding. And he, he probably just upped the ante a little bit in the club, brought even more quality into the group and, and helped to make us as successful as we were. Uh, tremendous man. Very humble. I'm sure everybody's told you he's, he's a great person first and foremost. And then on the top of that, he's, a, he's an absolutely gifted footballer. Uh, and just to work day in day out with John Franco and, and all the other players that came in around that time was, was for me was just a privilege. Dan Petrescu was another who rated him extremely highly. It was a big impact. I remember the goals against Everton he scored. And all the fans, they were thinking, yeah, who is this guy? And uh, the professional he brings to the club as well. Because the, the young uh, players, they can see Zola at the training ground. And you saw the Zola at the training ground, the, uh, the way he trained. He stay after the training all the time. And he stay in the gym after the training. That, I think Zola was a, a big, uh, big player and maybe the biggest player that I play with. By the end of his first full month in English football, Zola's hard work on and off the pitch was well and truly paying off. 
he netted a Boxing Day brace at Aston Villa and followed it two days later with another strike, this one against Sheffield Wednesday. That meant he finished December with five goals, so it was no surprise when he was subsequently voted the Premiership's Player of the Month. The memorable moments kept on coming. Late in January 97, Zola brilliantly equalised in the epic FA Cup fourth round game against Liverpool that will be covered in episode four of this podcast series. That goal displayed the venom with which he could hit a football, as well as the outstanding ability of his supposedly weaker left foot. An even more special strike followed a few weeks later, two minutes into the home fixture against Manchester United. Taking a Dan Petrescu pass in the inside right channel, Zola cut inside Dennis Irwin, who was left to slide off the pitch towards the redeveloping shed end. Another grizzled top-flight defender, Gary Pallister, now stood between Zola and the goal. Two touches and a drop of the shoulder later, and Zola had glided past him into a central position on the cusp of the six-yard box. He shot early and low on his left. The considerable frame of Peter Schmeichel didn't even move. It was a goal that, perhaps more than any other Zola scored, epitomised the numerable qualities he possessed. The touch, the skill, the awareness, the bravery in taking on players much bigger than him, the adeptness with both feet, the finishing ability, the confidence. Blues fans would never grow tired of watching him, including season ticket holder Trevor Nelson. I thought Hullet was good. I thought Reed was good. I thought Hoddle was good, even though they were, they were older. But when this guy came over... Um, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure what we were going to get. I knew he was a good player. I couldn't believe what we got. He was... You could see he was running around. He was the spark to everything we did. You just wanted to get the ball to Zola. Yeah. <laughs> I remember just saying, yeah. this guy, get the ball to Zola. Something magical will happen. And we felt really... No, he was a genius. He, he was immediate. And, and I liked the way the players... You could see the players loved him straight away. Dennis Wise... You could see Dennis Wise loved him, and he had a massive effect on Dennis Wise. I don't think I know it's come out in books, and Dennis has spoken about, it, but you could see it. You could see the change in culture that this one guy was having on us. I think it started with Rude and Viali and these foreign imports, but we were very blessed to get foreign imports that added to our club. Alex Ferguson was a long-term fan of Zola's. The striker proved a constant thorn in the Manchester United defence from the moment he scored that sensational goal two minutes into his first ever game against them. He annoyed me, Ferguson said a decade later. He was one of those players who was unperturbed about who he was playing against. You always saw a smile on his face, and that annoyed me. I said, how can he be enjoying himself playing against United? Nobody else does. The benefit on those around Zola was increasingly evident. You have a team where all the different parts are working quite well, but it takes one element that's added and everything is raised completely. And that's what you found when Gianfranco Zola came in. All of a sudden, Dan Petrescu uh, much more important in the, the way things were working. You'd see players like an Eddie Duke, for example, would do his typical Eddie spin, give the ball to, to Franco, and then magic would happen. And play, you just saw the whole team grow uh, to meet the excellence of, of Zola. Such was Zola and Hughes' form up front. Gianluca Viali was not able to win his place back in 96-97. Viali had honestly admitted that Zola made him look ordinary. Of all the Italian players to come here, 
I have the feeling he will be the best, Viali said when Zola joined. He wasn't wrong. Indeed, such was Zola's impact in his first season that at its end he was voted the Football Writers Association Footballer of the Year. He received the award from Stanley Matthews, the inaugural winner half a century earlier, a couple of days before the FA Cup final. We didn't have any, anything like that in Italy, that kind of thing. So when I was uh, awarded with that thing, I was uh, really, you know, can you say, I was over the, over the moon. Uh, plus, you know, it was uh, so many famous players and talented players I did before me. And I was so uh, happy to receive it from, from Mr. Matthew, Stanley Matthew. It was uh, something special, really. It was uh, one of the, those moments that, uh, you know, you will remember forever. He wasn't just a brilliant player for Chelsea. He was the best player in the Premier League. And it had been so long since you could say that about a Chelsea player. I mean, really, you're almost going back to Ray Wilkins, you know, being the best in the top flight. That's how much he elevated uh, Chelsea, that all of a sudden people liked our club because Zola played for us, and they loved Zola. Six years after the 97 Cup final win, Zola left Chelsea to join Cagliari in his native Sardinia. In total, he made 312 appearances for the club, scoring 80 goals, so many of them unforgettable, and picking up winners' medals in the FA Cup, twice, the Cup Winners' Cup, when he scored the only goal in the final in Stockholm, the League Cup and the Super Cup. Zola's exceptional ability on the pitch and his wonderful personality off it mean there's no question he will forever go down as one of the greatest ever players to pull on the blue shirt. I and all the others enjoyed it uh, very much because uh, there was a lot of enthusiasm, there was a lot of... Uh, there was a great atmosphere, not only around the stadium but also with the players, so we enjoyed it very much. It, it, was, uh, it was really good and I think that uh, was one of the main reasons why we were successful. We really enjoyed and uh, we were allowed uh, to get into the system very quickly. Uh, there was a collaboration from everyone for us to be successful. That was very important. Next time on Blue Days. And on it goes to Viali. Unbelievable stuff. I would put it right up in my top five all-time matches. Believe me, on the pitch there was uh, electricity on the air. He was really fired up. One, he got dropped and two, it was Liverpool. It was incredible, it was like, uh, like a party. Blue Days is a Chelsea Football Club production, written and presented by Rupert Kane, and co-produced by Steve King and Rupert Kane.